Welcome to Being Honest with My Ex. My ex is Peter C. Haywood. My ex is SJ, better known as Honor Eastley. We were engaged for two years and, and then, then we, we broke, broke up. up and then we stopped talking to each other for a year and now we do a podcast together. Would you have a baby with me? If I can get you to cry next podcast, we'll have a hat trick. <laughs> you don't know this, but I have a very vivid image of what your penis looks like. What? <laughs> if I met you now, I do not think that I would go out with you. Oh my God. I think if I met you now, I'd, I'd fall more in love with you than I did the first time. I'm in a Slack. Uh, you're on Slack now, aren't you? Yes, I'm on Slack. <laughs> you did it. Finally. I'm in a Slack for podcast enthusiasts, people who like not only podcasts, but like fictional podcasts particularly. So like Welcome to Night Vale or Wooden Overcoats and stuff like that. And it's interesting. I'm in it because I'm writing one at the moment, Night Crew. And when it lands, I want to see what kind of a reaction it gets. But it's interesting because they're such like fanny people. Like, I don't know if you ever spend any time in fandoms at all. Like, what's a fandom? As in a group of people who are getting together because they're fans of a thing? Yeah, yeah. Getting together either physically or more often than that, just online. I'm in the Amanda Palmer Patreon, which is pretty active. Yeah. I was part of their Facebook group, but I don't really use Facebook anymore. And I went to the Wait But Why meetup. That was pretty fanny. But uh, uh, fictional stuff, I feel like, has a, a different tone. Oh. So, like, Sherlock or Buffy or Homestuck or Supernatural. Yeah, absolutely not those things. Yeah, so people who are fans are great, and uh, I have no objection to it, but it's just interesting, like, someone just Sounds just like then. you're going to say something mean now. <laughs> it, it's something that I'm like, oh, man, that's cute. I don't have anyone in my life who thinks that way, but someone just posted in this Slack that I'm in, what fictional places to you feel like home? Oh, no. Oh. And so, like, the actually, I'll find the answer. I'll just tab back into it. Hogwarts, 221B Baker Street, The Millennium Falcon, Night Vale. Yeah, it's just, I don't know, I, I think it's, it's a weird, cute thing that is unlike anything else in my life. So I sometimes just like pop in there and I'm like, oh, look at what they're talking about. These people who like in their spare time draw pictures of these characters from radio shows who by definition you don't know what they look like, but they're like, this is I think what this person looks like. I don't actually read that much fiction. A lot of this is TV shows. I also don't watch that many TV shows. One fandom that you'd definitely be aware of would be Orange is the New Black. Yes, I stopped watching yeah. it a few seasons ago. <laughs> right, but that, that like has a really big fandom and people got really passionate about Crazy Eyes and how she likes to be called Suzanne and all this kind of stuff. I don't know, I just find fandoms very no, interesting. No, 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 I was just thinking like what's a fictional world that I know about that I could feel homely in? Yeah, I, I, I have such a disconnect from fiction because I want to write it. For me, fiction is not a place that I inhabit. It's a craft that I admire. Okay. I mean, for me, I was thinking, like, our future relationship is kind of like a fiction. <laughs> when you and I get back together. Yeah, well, yeah. You do I, write a lot of fan fiction about it. It's true. Yeah. Well, when it's erotic, they call it slash fiction. Is that right? <laughs> slash is specifically when it's gay and erotic. Yeah, well, this fits. <laughs> a very common thing actually i have no idea what you know about fandom if anything but a very 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 common thing is slash to begin with but also just gender swapping people really yeah so like someone will write a story where a character who's male in the show is, is female or, or vice versa i'd like to read some of those really what, what kind of shows do you want to read them about i can find them for you well, I mean, I'd like to read, like, Harry Potter, where... Oh, Harry Potter is, like, the mother of all fan fiction. There is more Harry Potter fan fiction than probably, like, most other stuff combined. That's why I was just thinking, like, what would... Because Harry Potter, I'm the same age as Harry Potter was when the books 
came out. No, that's wrong. Yeah. You, I'm not you, 12. You grew up with Harry Potter. I grew up Potter. with Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> and for me, like a, a lot of my world at that time, formative years, was shaped by those books, even though I hadn't oh, really? read them all. But everyone I know read them. You know how there's like the X generation, the Y generation, millennials? You should absolutely be the Harry Potter generation. That would be probably the defining thing of your generation. Yeah. I mean, I think that that made me feel special that I was the same age as Harry. Yeah. Did you ever get your letter from Hogwarts? No, I was very disappointed. I've also since realized that I'm absolutely not special. Very disappointing. (laughs) (laughs) It's this inherently cruel world because there are people who grew up in magic families who never get the letter because they're not magic. Oh, really? I forgot that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think they're called squibs. Oh. Muggles are when you're just not magic. And then mud bloods is if you are half magic blood, half not magic blood. But that book shaped my teenage years a bunch. So I'm just like trying to reimagine my life as if that book was gender swapped. You know, how would that have changed the conversations that we had in primary school and then in high school? And you know what I mean? Do you know anything about Harry Potter fan fiction? I know that probably there's a lot of Harry Potter having gay sex with other people. Okay, what do you think the number one pairing is of Harry Potter having gay sex with? Well, the one true pairing. (laughs) What what, what do you think it is? Would have to be, it's got to be Harry Potter and either, oh, fuck, I don't know. I mean, I, I can only remember certain characters. I know there's Ron and I know there's Draco. There's also that other guy who was really good who won the thing. Cedric Diggory. Cedric Diggory. Is he in the one true Perry? The number one slash fiction for Harry Potter, and I don't know this for sure, but I'm pretty sure. Tell me it's Draco. Is and Harry, Harry and Draco. Yeah. Harry and Draco. <laughs> you know why I thought that? Because everyone loves a little bit of conflict. Everyone loves their love to be laced with pain. That was so common. Okay, did you know that I used to write fan fiction? Did I know that? If I did, I forgot it. Oh, man. Okay, here's a story for you. The first sexual stirrings I had. Oh, God. Can you please rephrase that? How? (laughs) Sexual stirrings is just, you know, I've stirred your sexualness. I just... Feel funny about that phrase <laughs> when you use it. That did not give me a replacement phrase or an indication of what oh, an acceptable sure. replacement phrase would be. When I first became aware of my sexual... You can use that phrase. Look, you can use it. So the first time I ever remember being aware of sexuality and stuff like that was from Monty Python. Okay. Two scenes specifically. There's one where a guy and his wife go into a marriage counsellor to be like, I think she's cheating on me. And over the course of the session, the marriage counsellor just flat out sleeps with the wife. Oh, right, 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 right. Okay. I remember the one where they're doing sex ed and they're... That's the other one. Yeah. And he just starts having sex with his wife in front of all the boys. And I was the age of the boys at that time, so it wasn't like this weird thing. Yeah. I mean, it is this weird thing no matter what. It is pretty weird. So those are the first two times I remember getting aroused. And then the third time was by reading Harry Potter slash fiction. Oh, God. Was it Draco on Harry? It was Draco and Harry. Really? Yeah. Wait on. The third time you got sexually aroused was towards gay... Harry Potter, Draco, Malfoy, Erotica. Correct. Wow. That's quite something. (laughs) I feel like there's a bit of judgment going on here. No, 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 no. I was just thinking, like, I wonder how that's informed your sexual experiences. Because you are so, you, you know, you identify as being quite a 
straight person. I remember the story specifically. The part that aroused me for whatever reason was one of them licking the other one's nipples. Well, that's not allowed. <laughs> <laughs> and then the first time I masturbated nice. was to I'm glad we're going a here. story that, do you want to know? Is this interesting to you? Genuinely, I do. I'm not like, I, I keep making these jokes like I'm disgusted by these stories, but I'm not. First time I masturbated was a incest erotica story that I read online. Wow. So it was a story about uh, <laughs> a story about a guy who, like, his, his parents are always out of the place, so they get someone in to look after him, and she never speaks, and she comes into his room late at night and blows him one night, and the next night he fucks her, and the next night she doesn't come in, and he walks down the hall to find her licking out his sister. Jesus freaking Christ. And then she kind of gestures. I, I can stop if this is making you uncomfortable. Okay, that, that does make me feel uncomfortable. Do you want me to stop? I mean, do we, like, what was the twist? So I'm like two sentences from it. Okay. So they gesture, you know, you should take care of this. And the guy fucks his sister and they have a very good time. And then the twist, like the last sentence is that this character who has been silent the whole time was in fact the family dog. Oh, wait on, wait on, wait on, wait on. The perspective from which the story is told. No, the perspective is told from the brother, but the one brought in to look after them never speaks. And they dance around it. It, it's, it was on a joke site. That's how I found it. I was reading these joke sites. Because oh. I think I've mentioned in the past, I was obsessed with jokes. With joke sites, yeah, yeah. And so I would read like thousands and thousands of them. And then one day I came across this story and I was like, this is not a joke. And then the end being that twist technically qualifies it as a joke. I suppose so. Wow. Interesting. Okay. I, I didn't read much bestiality after that, but I, I read a lot of incest and then got into writing incest erotica and brother-sister incest to this day remains a turn-on. But yeah, my, my first arousal was Monty Python, then Harry Potter slash fic, and then incest bestiality. Wow, you really went there, like, immediately. <laughs> <laughs> like, as a, as a teenager? Yeah, just fucking, wow. Do you remember what you first got turned on by? No, no. Do you remember when you first masturbated? Also, no. Like, actually no, or no, I don't want to talk about it, no? No, I don't remember the first time I masturbated. I do remember the first time I put something inside of me. Like, as in, that wasn't parts part of, of me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I remember that because that was such a strange experience. Yeah. And I was like, well, that feels funny, kind of good, sort of weird. How strange. <laughs> How old were you? remember probably like 26 14 or 15 did you know what sex was like did you know how the workings of it functioned yeah i'm pretty sure i i'm pretty sure i understood that's kind of why i was like i found this thing that was actually like a it was one of those fancy soap products it wasn't soap yeah. it was a tube that had like bath sprinkles in it but it was kind of like a phallic shaped thing yeah so i was like well that makes sense also you have a deep fetish for sparkles Deep, deep. It runs deep. <laughs> Can't get off unless something glitters. I found glitter on my face today. I have no idea where from. That's how into it. That's from the orgy last night. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember, I remember that, but I used to have a weird thing because, so I still don't really use, do you still know this about me? I still don't really use tampons. I know that you didn't when we were together. I don't know that you still don't because it just has never come up. Yeah, because when I first used one, I think I threw up or something. 
That's okay. what the memory is in my mind. It made me feel really sick immediately. Is that what toxic shock syndrome is? Because I've heard of that. No, toxic shock syndrome is something that happens over a longer period of time. Really not just a few seconds? No, it's not like immediately. <laughs> and that's why I was like, wow, weird. I don't know what I might have done. But when I got an IUD recently, the doctor was telling me about how afterwards I didn't hurt that much, which is weird. Well, I expected it to hurt a lot more, but it didn't really hurt that much. It was definitely uncomfortable, but I felt really faint. I don't know if I told you this, but I was lying on the doctor's bed. I was like, oh, that wasn't too bad. And he was like, okay, cool. And then I was like, oh, and I thought I was going to faint, throw up and shit myself all at the same time. That's what the feeling was. The trifecta. (laughs) The trifecta. And my brain was going through the process of being like, how awkward would that be? How would everyone react? Would it be okay? (laughs) And I decided it's a doctor's office. Surely this is the one place where you can faint, (laughs) throw up, and shit yourself at the same time. (laughs) I didn't do any of those things. I just lied there for a while. But he was telling me about how sometimes that happens. In my mind, I was like, it would be acceptable, but that'd still make you clean it up. I'm not sure that they would make you clean it up. I don't think they would. It's not like an Uber. <laughs> <laughs> Although an Uber, they also don't make you clean it yeah, up. Yeah, I was so a particularly poor example. Uber, I'm not sure that that's a good example. <laughs> they charge you the cleaning fee. <laughs> uh, yeah, he was saying that it's because the cervix is a soft muscle. So mm-hmm. your body has different types of muscles. Soft muscles are ones that you don't have control over what they do. If you are listening and I'm getting this wrong, just really sorry. This is what I remember when someone <laughs> I was explaining. You were talking to your cervix then? <laughs> <laughs> Look, cervix, if I'm misdescribing you, I apologize. I apologize. No, I mean, like, this is information that I received when I was feeling faint and feeling also like I was going to vomit and shit myself. So may not have been the best vessel for information at that moment. <laughs> and he was saying that when that happens, sometimes your body will have this reaction where it lowers your blood pressure, heart rate. And as a response to that, you feel really faint. It chills you out. And mandatory chills you out. I'm not sure if that's what I did when I first tried to use a tampon and felt really sick and threw up. Since then, I've had a taste aversion to tampons. A Pavlovian response. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you use a moon cup? Is that a thing? Yeah, moon cup is a thing. Well, again, that's got the same issue as the tampon. Oh, right. It's weird because I have sex and put, you know, like it doesn't completely make sense that it's just the tampon that I have the issue with. Anyway, I don't really use tampons. That's the end of the story. But <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I was younger, me and some friends, this is when we had dial-up. We used to go over to each other's houses and just Google penis and see what we'd get and then kind of be like, ah, oh, that's gross, and then not talk about the fact that we sort of found it weirdly alluring and fascinating and... But we'd go into chat rooms and chat to people in there and do the ASL stuff. Age, sex, location. Age, sex, location, yes. And I have no idea who these people were or if they were who they said they were. Like, I have no idea if the person who told me they were a 25-year-old man from Queensland was actually that. It's like, just no idea. But we would tell them that we were like, I don't know, like a 23-year-old woman who was really horny and we 
Like we'd chat to them for ages and then like sexy talk with them all the while we're like swapping over the keyboard and like giggling to each other and be like, no, I can't write that. No, you write that. Oh my God. (laughs) And then right at the end, I remember this, we would try and get to the point, I think from my memory, where we'd get the other person to say that they were like going to achieve orgasm and then we'd tell them that we were like 13. And now that I think about that, I'm like, whoa, that is heavy. Yeah. But at the time, we thought it was fucking hilarious. Why? Why? Do you know why you found it hilarious? Uh, I think just like in the same way that prank calling people, people find hilarious. Just because you got one over them kind of thing. Yeah, like you trick people. You know, like obviously I don't agree with this <laughs> stuff now. <laughs> you don't still do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so so there's this comedian, what's his name? Sanderson Jones? Yep, Sanderson Jones. Wow, I can't believe I remember that name. Anyway, he does this thing at his shows. It's called, fuck, I can't remember what he calls it, but he uses Chat Roulette. So Chat Roulette is a website where you can go on and you turn on your webcam and you'll be paired with a random person somewhere else. And you can, I suppose originally you could just chat to a stranger and then you could just (laughs) click next person. I want to go to the next person. You get someone else random. Very low investment kind of meeting people. Yeah, but notoriously now people go in there and then just like wank at other people. You say now like it's changed. The story you're describing is from 2012. (laughs) Sure. Okay. Sanderson Jones' show was in 2012. I don't know if Chat Roulette's even around anymore, but in 2012 when Chat Roulette was kind of at its peak, it was mostly known for being dicks. It was commonly known as dick roulette. Yes, there you go. Because like four-fifths of the people that you'd switch onto would just be dicks. Yes. And I, I mean, literally, it would just be a picture of someone's dick, a little video of it. Yeah. So Sanderson Jones in his show, he'd pick out a woman who was attractive in the audience and would be like, do you want to be part of a thing? And then they'd put up a white sheet behind her and they'd set up chat roulette so that the camera was just on her. And then they'd go through and they'd try and find people who wanted to, like, talk to her or wank. At her. At her, I suppose. And then once they got someone, they'd zoom the camera out and the person would realise that they were inside (laughs) of a whole theatre and there was, like, a thousand people watching them masturbate over this person who's actually in a crowd. When I went to that show in 2012, it didn't actually work, but I did think the idea was kind of funny. In the same way that I've evolved (laughs) and I probably wouldn't feel that way now, I thought that that thing was freaking hilarious when I was 13 and we were tricking people who may or may not have been actual adults into, like, masturbating over the ideas of, like, you know, like... Did you find it sexy or was it just purely a prank? I think it was like a way of experimenting with some of those ideas and words with another person where I didn't have to admit that I actually liked that. Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't remember if I went into the chat rooms by myself. I'm sure I did. I went into chat rooms by myself, but I never pretended to be a 24-year-old female. Yeah. To my memory, maybe I did. (laughs) I kind of like the idea that at least some of the people we talked to were also 13, pretending to be. (laughs) And we were like, gotcha. And they were like, ha ha, got you. (laughs) Yeah. But maybe that's just to like calm my conscience that I think that way. (laughs) Yeah, that would be full on to be sexting someone. This is before sexting existed. To be, uh, what was the word for sexy chatting at someone? Cyber, to be cybering. Oh, to cyber. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cyber. Uh Uh-huh. Short for cyber sex. 
Yes, 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 yes. I cannot imagine cybering with someone and then finding out that they're, or, or them claiming that they're a 13 year old girl. I think for your own sanity, you'd just have to be like, ah, they're just doing that to fuck with me. Yeah, I feel bad for anyone that experienced that. Those 24 year old guys are now, what, like 43? <laughs> no, th- 35. I forgot how old you were for a second. So if they were 25, then they would be 38 now. Any 38-year-olds listening to this who once had that happen, let us know. Maybe you cybered with SJ in her youth. Oh, God, no. But, I mean, do contact me, but, like, be nice. <laughs> so I just left my job yesterday. I had my last day. And I've never had a last day before. You definitely have. No, 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 but but like I've never had a day that everyone knew this is your last day. We're going to have like a morning tea and we'll do some speeches sort of things and we'll write you a cut. You know what I mean? Like I've had last days, but because a lot of the work I've done has been on projects, it's like, okay, well, I just emailed you the last file. I guess we're done. Yeah. Or when I've left some other places, it's been like pretty unceremoniously or we've been meaning to do a last day and it didn't end up happening. Or or... you've you've not been there for very long. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. Like I've never had like a last day and I was really anxious about it. I really didn't want to (laughs) go. Yeah. And so I was really glad that it happened that there was also a bunch of new staff. So they did a morning tea where they welcomed new staff and said goodbye to me. And I'm like, thank God, because I Aww. really don't want this to be about me. Which I'm like, that never happens. I always want it to be about me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it turns out last days are great because all the people that you like come to your office and have the conversations that they would have liked to have the whole time you were there. Oh, that's nice. So there's the people at the thing and then people come and find you throughout the day. Yeah. The people who genuinely care come and find you throughout the day and then like, yeah, I'm actually genuinely sad that you're leaving and I'm like interested and, you know, I never got to talk to you about this thing and I just wanted to say something, something, you know, and you're like, oh, this is great. I don't even want to leave anymore. This is amazing. (laughs) Why couldn't every day have been like this? I really did feel like I didn't want to leave anymore. But one person, I haven't told anyone that I work with about this podcast. Oh, really? They know I do a podcast, but I haven't told anyone enough information that they could find it. If that makes <laughs> like sense. your name. <laughs> yeah. Does anyone at your old work know you as Honor Eastley? Like, is that a name that they're aware of as being attached to you? No. So you don't have any of them on Facebook? No. Huh. Yeah, no. What happened when they were like, hey, can I add you on Facebook? Were you like, nope? Actually, one person asked me yesterday and I said... I'm actually kind of shit at Facebook, which is not a lie. That's true. You basically lead a double life. I've never thought about this before. Yeah, I didn't quite realize that till now, but yes. Yes. You are like podcast lady by night and then undercover mental health worker by day. Yeah, and sometimes I kind of like that, actually. Yeah. Because I don't mean this to sound as stupid as it's going to sound, but it's kind of nice when people treat you like you're just a regular person. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just spent a weekend at a board game camp. Did I tell you about this at all? No. Someone I know in Toronto, a game designer, has a family and one of his close friends has a family. And so they're like, look, we want somewhere where we can hang out with a bunch of other board gamers with families and play board games. So they hire out like a camp, especially the camp that Justin Bieber used to go to as a kid. Wow. Because he's Canadian. Oh, yeah, he is. And they hire it out for a weekend and everyone pays a hundred bucks for like a two night stay and all meal provided. And you just play board games for the whole weekend. Cute. 
and there's like all the other people in the community are there and all of their kids are there. And it's just this really nice like retreat It's a board game retreat. And one of the people there is a very famous designer. And I know that you're not at all aware of the world of board games, but in the world of board games, there are very famous designers. That's so weird because that's unlike every other industry where there's not very <laughs> famous designers. If I hadn't said that, would you have thought about the fact that there are people who are celebrities in the board game world? I would have assumed that, yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> that happens I in every I, industry. Yeah. I feel like board games, for you, it would be one that it wouldn't immediately spring to mind. I mean, I don't think about it every night before I go to bed. <laughs> like, not every yeah. night, some nights, <laughs> mostly Thursdays, sometimes Wednesdays. <laughs> and so I was hanging out with this very famous board game designer until 6.30am. We were just chatting about stuff. It was very fun. And he was saying that if he could, he would have his games be as played as they are without his name being attached to them. Ah. Because he didn't get into board game design for the fame. <laughs> yeah. And he, he doesn't really like it when he goes to one of the big board game conventions like Gen Con or Origins and people like, he used Joss Whedon as an example. He said that his reaction to Joss Whedon, he doesn't like it when people have that reaction to him. Yeah. And so he has to consciously like put on convention mode and behave as he wishes Joss Whedon would behave to him. How does he behave? What does he do? Oh, he's just very nice and he'll sign the thing and he'll be friendly and he'll like try to use their name in conversation. He didn't say this, but this is, this is like what I assume. All he said was he tries to behave as he would like Joss Whedon to behave to him. Yeah. Which presumably is nicely and magnanimously and, you know, being a cool dude. I just think it's interesting that like if you end up being very good at whatever it is you do, people will idolize you no matter what the field is and no matter how little what you do has to be with a good person. He's a very good person. Like he's really sweet and lovely and nice and he's been very generous to me a new and upcoming designer with his time and advice and stuff like that. But like designing board games is probably a skill set that least of all requires amazing people skills. Oh, right. Or the ability to lead a life that is worth emulating. And yet just by nature of being good at that, people idolize him. This is exactly what we talked about last time when we were talking about Bo Burnham. You think? Yeah, yeah. Like Bo Burnham talks about how like the people who, in air quotes, make it, we want to know, like, tell me all about you so I can copy it because you obviously know the answer. Oh, well, no, not, not even that. I'm not talking about other board game designers. I'm just talking about people who are fans of his games. Oh, no, I, that's what I mean. But, like, people don't want to copy this guy. Designers might, but the people who play his games and want him to sign the games, they're not like, tell me how to be like you. They're just like, you made a thing that has brought so much joy into my life. Like, sure. he has games that are thousands and thousands of people's favorite thing in the world. Sure. And so people are like, ah, you made this thing that I love. I just want to spend time with you, much in the same way as he feels about Joss Whedon. Yeah. You, SJ, better known as Honor Eastley, are an interesting case because the things that you make, your product, to a certain extent, is you. <laughs> I feel weird about that. <laughs> but you see what I mean, though, yeah? No, I understand what you mean. I just, you know, like I have a conflicted relationship with almost every part of my experience of being a human. <laughs> that is one of them. <laughs> so like people like you, I mean, I think you should do your music so that people can like your music because I think you're okay, uh, but your music is great. No, uh, <laughs> I think you're great. Fuck you. <laughs> I mean, I love you. But my point is that like being an amazing board game designer is not being a product. Doing this podcast, to a certain extent, the thing that we are connecting with people through is just our personalities. Board game is almost as far away from that as you can get. 
Yeah, because it's about making a good game rather than being a great guy. Yeah, it's not like a song where you're pouring your emotion into it. No, I think I think as a board game designer, I'm okay with saying that. Creating a board game, a good board game is not about pouring your personal experiences and emotion into it. It's about creating a system that is fun for people to play. And yet he still gets that idolation. Yeah. I was actually talking to someone at my work yesterday who I really liked and I was going to seek them out to be like, hey, what's your email address? I want to say, you seem cool. Anyway, they came over to visit me and they were like, yeah, I'm really sad that you're leaving. Anyway, we got into this great conversation about critical psychiatry and then I talked about what I was leaving my job to go do. And it turns out he was in like a quite a successful Australian rock band, like made oh, really? top 10 <laughs> album. And he said he quit it because... I do not think that you will agree with this at all, but I was really interested in his story. But he was talking about how like art should be about life and expression, and if you are all the time creating stuff, then what are you going to write about, if that makes sense? Why do you think I won't agree with that? Because he, so he quit music. He said he was in the offices of a really big record label in Times Square, sorting something else out. And he was like, I don't want to do this. And he quit that and he started working in mental health. He got a degree in that, started doing that. And he's like, I want to be a normal person. Like he wouldn't tell me which band he was in or anything like that. (laughs) (laughs) There is a chance it was all lies. I did some fancy Googling and I found out which band. (laughs) (laughs) But he was like, no, I just like, I don't want to do that. I want to, I want to learn stuff for the sake of learning. And I like these roles because I get to learn something every day. Anyway, he just seemed like a really wise dude. And I was like, damn it. Why did I have to discover this on my last day? (laughs) But it made me think about what I was doing. Because obviously what he was saying was completely critical of the exact choice I had just made which was to leave. I don't think it was critical. I think it was just like a different path. No, no, no. I don't think he it was. was... It, it opposed that choice, but I don't think it was critical of it. Yeah. Yeah. It was just a different way of looking at it. But the thing that I was coming back to is that now finally someone knows this podcast. So I told them, not this person, but someone else. I was just telling to them about what I've been doing and blah, 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 blah. And he was like, oh, cool. What's the podcast? And I was like, nah. Feel weird about anyone knowing like the podcast. And he's like, come on, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I didn't expect that, so I just told him what it was. Um, and then I've been like So so now So now he knows. I don't know if he's gonna listen to it, but I was like, fuck. And then I left and I was like, shit. I wonder if he will listen to that. And then I wonder if he'll tell anyone about it. And then I'm like, oh crap. And then this whole conversation that we've been having about the first time I masturbated, I've just been thinking, oh shit, I wonder if this guy from my work is going to listen to it because maybe he'll look at it and this will be the most recent episode and he'll listen to that because it's got an interesting title and then my cover will be blown. Everyone will know that as a teenager, you masturbated. Yeah. Also that I tricked people online into thinking that I was older. Yeah, no, that, that, this, will, this will definitely ruin your career in mental health, which has actually been my ambition with the podcast the entire time. Well, it's weird because so many people, not so many, but quite a few people ask me, like, do you feel strange that a lot of people know a lot of really personal stuff about you? And generally I'm like, no, but where I work, I'm like, yeah, I do kind of care. I don't know. It's just like this podcast is not a professional thing to do. You know what I mean? It's true. Uh, yes, I, I can never. I can never work in politics. Uh, I mean, let's face it. You would never have been able to work in politics. 
I'm pretty attractive. That's not what's holding you back. I mean, having said that, we're in, we're in the Trump era now, so I feel like... Post-truth, baby, post-truth. The list of things that stop you from being a viable politician just no longer exists on some level. I find it interesting that you'd think that I would not agree with that philosophy because when I was a younger writer, when I was 18, 19, and I was oh, constantly yeah. Googling like how to write better and all this kind of stuff, the advice that I would consistently run into was like, you are a teenager, stop trying to write amazing things. Not stop trying to write amazing things, keep on writing. Don't be frustrated that your writing is not as good as it will be in 10 years' time because you have not experienced the world. You have not experienced enough of humanity to be able to write a compelling portrait of it, which now, in retrospect, I completely agree with. Like, my characters used to be me, all of them, and I thought I was completely normal, and thus all the characters being exactly like me made sense. And now, like, I feel like I have a much deeper understanding of people and and motivations and ambitions, and one thing that you want to do in good writing (laughs) is have different viewpoints bouncing off each other. Like, that's the inherent nature of dialogue and conflict, and when every character is 19-year-old Peter, that's not (laughs) possible on the same level. I have this overarching view of our lives on this particular... you and me? Yeah, of our lives separately. So Peter's trajectory is him starting out thinking that everyone else is like him and he's completely normal and then going on and over his life realizing that people are very different and he's not necessarily (laughs) not normal, but he's definitely not the norm, if that makes sense. (laughs) And my life trajectory is like always thinking that you're weird, bad, stupid, crazy, broken, broken, and then slowly going along and realizing not that weird, bad, stupid, crazy, weird. Actually, (laughs) probably everything I've experienced is not unique to me and that a bunch of other people have been there and that I'm okay. (laughs) It's true. I just like seeing those those two trajectories together. And contrasting, meeting and then and then going in opposite directions. I think that's how you're becoming more like me, I'm becoming more like you. We're just like coming together along the trajectory. I wanted to make a joke about how I would tell you, because you just made a joke about us coming together. I wanted to make a joke saying that I'm actually not 27, but... <laughs> <laughs> Just a 13-year-old who's been trolling me this entire podcast. Yeah, I've been trolling you for several years, actually. It's been very effective, I'm not going (laughs) to lie. Well, people often think I'm a lot younger than I am. I mean, at my previous job, a lot of people thought that I was like 20 because my face is young and I have... Unmarred by the ravages of time. Uh, I wouldn't say that. Uh... (laughs) Round. (laughs) I just have a baby face and I think it's because I make stupid jokes. (laughs) Everyone's like, no, it's just because you have great skin and like cheeks. And I'm like, there's got to be some element of my personality that indicates that I'm younger than I am. Like it can't just be what I look like. There's got to be some other way that I conduct myself that indicates that I'm younger than I am. My boyfriend is listening to the podcast from the start and just listened to episode six where we talk about various things. And one of the things that you mentioned is that you have a twin, which he did not know. He had no idea that you had a twin sister. Oh, no, really? And so I went on to uh, your sister's Instagram to find some photos of the two of you together. And he was like, I can see how their faces are very similar. But SJ conveys so much personality through her face that I think if I met them both at the same time, I would immediately know which one was which, not from the haircut, not from the clothes, not from the fact that you'd introduce yourself, but just from the way that you express your personality through your face. The thing is, though, people get very confused when they meet us both because we have really quite similar mannerisms and... (laughs) 
ways. So Lucy's totally wrong is what you're saying. Yeah. And ways of like making jokes with the tone of our voice. Yeah. So people get really weirded out by that more than us looking very similar. The like way we talk with our hands and yeah. So, I mean, it's probably just because my sister has a lot of Botox and she can't express. Actually, I have no (laughs) idea how true that is about the. How much Botox she has. Yeah, I've got no idea. Probably, you know, they come in sheets, don't they? Sheets of Botox? (laughs) Probably eight to nine sheets, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I feel bad, but I don't want to comment on whether my sister has or hasn't had Botox because I feel like either way would be a judgment on whether people should have and shouldn't have Botox saying that I have no opinion. It's okay. Your, your workmates don't listen to this. You can you can have opinions about Botox. It's fine. Most people that I know are very negative about it. But then I have a friend who used to work at a Botox place. She's a doctor who used to work there. And she said that she was really negative about it until she worked there. And then she realized that it wasn't necessarily this like totally out there thing to do. But, you know, I didn't talk at length with her about it. I think she did it, but she was like, yeah, it's the kind of thing that I would consider doing like maybe once every couple of years and a tiny amount. Sounds like you're talking about like heroin. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, wow, I've never heard someone with that opinion before. Yeah. This week's outro is from Nicole, who is based in Singapore and responded to our call out for international outros. So if you are international, and by that I mean not from Australia or America, uh, send us an outro. We'd love to hear the outro in a different accent, such as Nicole. Nicole. Thanks for listening to Being Honest With My Ex. If you have enjoyed the podcast, subscribe to us on iTunes, leave a review and tell your friends. Peter is my favorite son, but SJ is my favorite unicorn. (laughs) (laughs) oh my god my housemate has a giant inflatable unicorn pool toy Uh and i want to steal it from her and i feel like nicole is telling me that i should that's all from us this week however at the time that this goes live our kickstarter is active so we're going to throw over to peter and sj from the future uh, okay, I mean, this is still me now, or... <laughs> we, we'll insert the audio there. You know what? That's a really great idea. I love that <laughs> idea. <laughs> Hello, Peter and SJ from the past. It's us, but in the future. <laughs> How are you enjoying the future, SJ? It's cold here. <laughs> it's true. Uh, so, our past selves want to know how the Kickstarter's going. That's a great question. How is the Kickstarter going? <laughs> We're a bit over a weekend. We're a week and four days in, and we're at about 75% of our goal. This is a naive question, but like, if we don't get $2,000, we don't get anything, do we? Correct. Yes. It's an all or nothing campaign. Oh, okay. All righty. Well, yeah. We're not coming yet. (laughs) (laughs) So yes, if you do want to see us live or you want to support the show generally or anything like that, check out... The Kickstarter, you can find it at our new website, beingonestwithmax.com. Just scroll down, there's a big link to the Kickstarter. And that is where you can support it. What's our dollar amount at the moment? We are currently at $1,681, which I'm just going to say is freaking amazing. And uh, yeah, the first day, particularly the first day, like, pledges were happening so quickly. I was like, oh my God! Ah! <laughs> ah! <laughs> I've never done a Kickstarter before. It's really exciting. It's super fun. Yeah, you enjoying it? Yeah. And, um, well, it's also nice getting people's comments. There's, you know, there have been some people who are like, I'm going to fly to Australia to, do the, to come to these shows. And I'm like, whoa, wow. 
All right. Yes, it's super lovely. Thank you, everyone who has. If you haven't yet, just check out the page. Uh, I mean, oh, the thing that, that we, our past selves didn't know is that the Kickstarter video opens with... Our proposal footage. Yeah. 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 We, we, we found it and we were like, man, we promised to put this up like half a year ago. Let's... Let's do it. So, yeah, if nothing else, click through and watch the video of me proposing to SJ. I'll tell you now, she was way more stylish and, and good-looking then than she is now. Just, like, it's been non-stop deterioration. That's absolutely <laughs> not true. I feel like the first 15 seconds of the video are, like, an ugly duckling story of, like, you get to see how uncool I was. Um, however many, <laughs> how, how many years ago was it? Five. F- four or five years ago. Uh, yeah. Five years ago. Yeah. Four or five years ago. So that is future, all from future, us in the future. future. Back to you, Peter and SJ of the past. Bye. I love you, Peter and SJ of the past. Thank you, Peter and SJ from the future. I really hope you're still alive. Wow. Darn. Don't you? Uh, yes. Yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> I always like to consider your questions. Make sure that I'm answering truthfully. <laughs> I appreciate that. It is, after all, being honest with my ex, even when he asks very stupid questions. <laughs>